Please listen carefully. And now, live from the Zudio in McKinney, Texas, it's the Assuming Positions Podcast, featuring two guys flapping gums and being chums, Kevin and Mikey. Hey everybody, welcome to the Assuming Positions Podcast. Kevin over here. And Mikey over here. And today on the podcast, we're doing something goofy and fun. Yeah. Which is every podcast, pretty much. But this was kind of born out of, if you enjoyed our interview at Order 66, while we were at Order 66, behind the scenes, Mm -hmm. we're talking with our good friends, Zach and Mary, who uh, put on Phantom Legacy, and we're just, you know, the little backstage chit-chat that you do. And it came up that, and I think this is just kind of in the zeitgeist, more of just something, is it something in the zeitgeist or is it just something that our producer, Not Scott, says all the time? Uh, Both. It's kind of a conversation starter for Not Scott when like the angels fly over and he gets too quiet and he gets uncomfortable, (laughs) right? Yes. And it's like, everyone overrates a band in a movie. What's yours? Yeah, yeah. And we kind of got thinking about it and... I, I'm so arrogant. Sometimes I'm like, I don't overrate anything I like. is awesome. But people have a, a thing. We got to thinking about what you ended up calling our personal panned picks. Alliteration, of course. Of course, that's the title I picked. But yes, personal panned picks. P-A-N-N-E-D. Like a pizza, like a pan pizza. Get it? See? But also critically panned. And there's a theme. Basically, we could also call this eyebrow raisers. Mm -hmm. Like when you're like, hey, I like this. And people are like, really? And they raise their eyebrow. (laughs) Um, Or you could even call it guilty pleasures. But we don't believe in guilty pleasures Yes, here at Assuming Positions. We are Team Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl is on record as saying there's no such thing as guilty pleasures. There's things that you like and there's things that you don't. Don't feel bad about liking what you like. Yes. And I subscribe to that. We subscribe to that 100%. But this is a more of one of those, we've been trying to do more getting to know you podcasts so that people can get to know us a little more mm-hmm. on a personal level. Yep. And there's always things that people like that you wouldn't expect them to like. There's always things that you like that you know you really shouldn't like or just doesn't make sense for someone of your demographic to be interested in. Yeah. So... Like a 14-year-old now being really into Matlock. It's like... <laughs> yes! <laughs> what? Yes, totally, a hundred percent. But an old person being into Matlock doesn't raise an eyebrow. Doesn't raise an eyebrow. See, raising an eyebrow—that's <laughs> kind of what we're talking about here. <laughs> so we pick three things, and we weren't just doing the band in movie. We bring anything to the table because I don't know. I think my my movie pool isn't that deep, so I just kind of like movies that everyone likes anyway. So. Whatever, but I thought of some things. I haven't even discussed what, what, what yours are, so I'm interested. So I'm making you go first. Okay. These so, are all surprises. So we got three things that we call a personal pan pick. This is something we give eight slices of pizza, whether anyone likes us doing it or not. Yes. <laughs> Other opinions be damned. These yes. are our, our eight out of eight opinions exactly. about stuff that probably shouldn't warrant it. Yeah. But if I'm going first, I'm starting with a movie, a movie that I love. Uh, I worked at Blockbuster for way too long. So in the course of working at Blockbuster, you get five free rentals a week. Oh, wow. That's a bunch of movies. It is. Eventually, you run out of good stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's how I built up my tolerance for love of the bad stuff. Uh-huh. And it's kind of a case of you can't have sweet without bitter kind of stuff. So <laughs> you can't watch- have light without dark. Exactly. 
can't have good movies without knowing what a bad movie is. Oh, maybe that's my problem. Maybe that's why no one likes my pizza rating sometimes. <laughs> and I, I mean, my like that's why my uh, movie opinion can be argued good or bad either way. But I mean, I've seen every all the step up movies, step up to the streets, stomp the yard, bring it on, all the dance competition movies. I've seen all of those, but I'm not talking about that one. I'm talking about a movie called Only the Strong. No idea. No idea. Okay, well, I'll describe it to you. But first, here's the funny part. So it has an 8% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> My God. Wow. 8% critically, but this makes me feel so much better. It has a 70% audience score. Oh, okay, well. So I'm not alone in this, Yeah. but this was a despised movie. Uh, only the strong. Essentially stand and deliver. Mm-hmm. but add in capoeira dance fighting. What? <laughs> dance fighting? Do you know what capoeira is? I, yeah. It, like Eddie Gordo from Tekken, if you remember that guy. <laughs> That's the fighting style he had. I know, uh, yeah, I know about dance fighting, but I've never known, and I guess because you love the movie about it, yep. is it dancing or is it fighting? Is it both? It's both. So there is actual physical contact? That's meant to be like karate. Especially if you watch this movie, because there's some awesome fight scenes (laughs) in here. But yes, there is supposed to be contact. And you're supposed to move to the rhythm of the music. (laughs) Which I guess gives you a weakness if you know your opponent has to come punch you on the the twos and fours. (laughs) Yeah, right. Block on the downbeat. Well, here comes the drop. (laughs) Oh no, he's coming in for the super kick. But that's the kind of like we make that we made up that scene as a joke. But that's kind of the scenes that are in this movie. Like <laughs> they're slow slow mo last hits and fights. But like I said, it's stand and deliver, which means it's essentially he's an ex green beret, but he's now a teacher, and it's played by uh, Mark Dacascos. Sure, he was in, he's Iron Chef. He's the chairman of Iron Chef America. Oh really? Oh that I know who that guy is. So he's a legit martial artist. Oh in wait real a life. minute. Yes, he was in John Wick Three Parabellum. Yeah. Isn't he married to someone famous? Possibly. I think so. He's been in weird movies like Drive and Cradle to the Mm. Grave. So he has a legit career, but he's now playing an ex-Green Beret that becomes a teacher. And as a teacher, he's he's been hired by like the worst gang-affiliated California school. Like it's gangs and drugs and graffiti all over the place. Of course. I should mention this is 93. So it's as stereotypical and on the nose as you can make a movie in 93. But he gets put in charge of the Bad News Bears kids of the, of the high school, you know. You got your pretty boy jock that can't pass. You got the black rapper kid that, you know, is trying to make it out, doesn't care about school. You've got the goth artist like Trent Reznor type who's like, I don't want to learn anything. Down with the system. But he bonds with them all and teaches them to become better people by teaching them dance fighting. <laughs> <laughs> And that's like, that is the beginning and the end of this movie. There's some conflict where one of, one of his students' fathers or uncles is like real mad that he's learning fighting. He's like, this is not what school is for. You should come join the gang. You know, school is a waste of time. But the teacher's like, no, school is important. You should stay with us. <laughs> and it's so wholesome and nerdy and super 90s. And there's dance fighting and the soundtrack is great. And I've seen this movie, what, 10 plus times? Oh, there you go. But it has an 8% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, I went right. to look at it, and I, it, it hurt my feelings a little bit. I was like, really? Eight? Like, not even double digits. So, um, and from The Wire, and from our, our news board. Yes. So, Mark Dukaskis? Dukaskis? He is married to someone famous for me. There you go. He's married to Julie Condra, who was Madeline in The Wonder Years. There you go. Who was my 
girlfriend pic in our head of the house. Small world. It's all tying together. <laughs> Bust out the red string on the board. Be like, it all ties together. It all ties together. So yeah, oh, this is great. the this is the only Hollywood movie to feature the fighting style Capoeira, but I love it. Worth your time. I give it eight out of eight, two thumbs up, all the praise. I would if you want to watch it, I will come watch it with you. <laughs> it is a great time. Oh my gosh. That is so great. Never heard of it before, but that's a perfect personal pan pick. Eight <laughs> percent. I couldn't believe it. Made me sad. All right. So mine has nothing to do with media, but it does have to do with culture. Yes. And it's a food that's I think is the bestest ever, but it is panned by my waistline <laughs> and every dietitian everywhere and anyone. This is, does not show up on any healthy diet. This is not a part of your balanced breakfast. Do you remember those commercials? Like as a kid growing up, the balanced breakfast was like yeah. cereal, toast, orange juice, yeah. milk, water, eggs, yeah. bacon. Yeah. Like 12 Two. things. Yeah. The balanced breakfast, if you're about to go out and <laughs> do the farm work, right? Oh, ridiculous. But this wasn't a part of the balanced breakfast. No, it's and it's something that I love. And if I'm going to if I'm going to do a cheat, I will often get this. My wife hates that she hates these things. They're not allowed in my house. I have to like be on my way somewhere else (laughs) and stop at a corner store. It's Little Debbie Snack Cakes. Yes, snack cakes. It's a Little Debbie Snack Cakes. Specifically. Specifically. Okay. And I have rankings of the Little Debbie Snack Cakes. They're terrible, horribly processed food. Yes. They're not good for you at all. I didn't really grow up with them. This is what the weird thing was, is I grew up more with like, we were like a hostess house, like the Twinkies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... The Ding Dongs. and Yeah, the the things like that. Cupcakes. But, But somewhere along the way... I found a superior snack cake <laughs> that was made by the Little Debbie Company. There you go. So I love them, and I know I shouldn't. I have a ranking of Little Debbie snack cakes <laughs> and some Little Debbie snack cake history, which is interesting. Sorry, I have to back you up just a second. So Little Debbie beats out hostess purely just on like taste preference alone? Yes, it's better. Okay. It wasn't like somebody else liked hostess, and you were like, I don't like that person. No, I'm it's like, better. Okay. It's just better. I don't know when I found that out. I don't know what. But anyway, so here's my Little Debbie snack cake rankings. I picked the top five with an honorable mention. (laughs) I love it. All right. So should we start at the honorable mention and then go up? Yes. Okay. So honorable mention is the very rare. You can't always find it. You kind of have to buy it at the grocery store where the Little Debbies are. Gotcha. And not every grocery store has it, but the Banana Twins. Okay. Yeah, I'm not too familiar with it. Yeah, it's it's too spongy, banana flavored, and doesn't taste like it tastes that's that artificial banana flavor. <laughs> like like the runts banana candy tastes like, like that. Like laffy taffy yeah, banana. Laffy yeah. taffy banana. Yeah, it's not. There's no bananas in it. And then <laughs> and then it's got and it's it's got that you know, the cream sandwich in between them. Oh yeah, okay. So it's kinda like a devil dog, but with banana. Gotcha. Delicious. That's so, honorable mention though. That's a bold choice, though. Banana over, like, vanilla. So, uh, number five yes. is the classic zebra cake. Yes. That's that. Wait, is it a, is it a hexagon? Or six is it an sides. octagon? It's a hexagon. Six sides, yeah. yeah. The six-side white with the black or a chocolate. Chocolate fudge striping. Fudge striping <laughs> and the white on the inside, white cake. And then they make all kinds of different ones. They're coming out with the pumpkin spice ones. And they got like birthday and, or something like and that. And they have like Christmas ones. There you go. And yeah, they have all kinds of zebra cakes. But 
as much as I like a zebra cake, they're they're number five because there's too many varieties. It'd be a thing. <laughs> Just be a thing. True. Too, too much. Number four, I can't have these in the house at all because my wife's allergic to peanuts, but a nutty bar. Oh. A nutty bar with a cup of coffee. Hot take. I would have put that at number one. Yeah, yeah. That's good stuff right there. They don't call them nutty bars anymore, though. They're called they're nutty not, buddies. Are they called nutty buddies? They're they're, nutty they bars? had a name change. You and I grew up with them as nutty bars. Interesting. Little known fact because hmm. I love them so much. Number three is the Star Crunch. Yes. Fun fact about the Star Crunch. It hurts to chew. There's a band called Manor Astro Man. Yes. There were rock band that used to tour the southeast a lot, and I saw them quite a few times when I was in Savannah. Manor Astro Man has a a member named Star Crunch (laughs) who brings Star Crunches and throws them out to the audience. That's a great bit. It's a great bit. You win friends everywhere you go. And Manor Astro Man is kind of a surf rock sounding band that's sci-fi based. Worth your time to go check out just yeah. on name alone. Number two is the Swiss cake roll. Classic. The thing I like about the Swiss cake roll is you just kind of chomp down on it or you can kind of deconstruct it. Mm-hmm. You can like pull the chocolate on the outside off. You can unroll it. Yep. You can do all kinds of stuff with that. But what here's what type of Swiss cake roll person are you? Do you eat the chocolate off the cardboard insert or is that lost chocolate to you? <laughs> lost chocolate. <laughs> no. You eat that off there and get that weird waxy paper taste with it. And That's it. just Because there's always going to be some on that cardboard yep. insert. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the number one for me... Oatmeal cream pie. Oatmeal cream pie. Because it almost seems like it's healthy. It's an eyebrow razor within an eyebrow razor. Yes. Okay. Almost seems like it's healthy. True. Totally not healthy. Yeah, it's like oatmeal cookies. Like it's, it's like, oh, yeah, it's oatmeal. It's, it's good for oatmeal. you. It's two soft oatmeal cookies with cream shoved in between them. <laughs> they also make like a, and they come in different sizes. They have the little one, and then they have the little ones come, you can get the little ones in the box, or you can get the big ones in the box too, but the big ones used to be the ones you'd have to go to the gas station to get yes and now they're selling double decker ones i don't like the double decker <laughs> ones it's too much too much too much little debbie with the double decker ones i have the same opinion about oreo and it's double stuffed uh, clones it's too much now yeah it's not double stuff it's like it's like a big mac like three oatmeal oh cookies yeah with cream. it's too much. too much too much <laughs> so anyway what i found when i was like looking up the little debbie stuff is that little debbie there was a little debbie a little girl this family called the McKee family founded Little Debbie. Okay. And the founders were the married couple, and they had a grandchild, a four-year-old named Debbie. Nice. And the drawing of her is a pic- from a picture of her. Oh, creepy. And, cool. and you know what's even crazier? Debbie McKee Fowler is on the board of Little Debbie to this day. Right now? Right now. Wow. Because she was four yep. when that was done back in the late 60s. So she's only in her, like, 50s. Late 60s to now. Yeah, 60-something. Yeah. I like it. That's crazy. I didn't know Little Debbie was still alive. She's still alive and around and has a say in what goes on in the snack cake empire. I wonder if she eats Little Debbie cakes or when asked, like, what's the secret to long life, when eventually she's asked that, she's like, Little Debbie every day. Maybe. I don't know. It seems I wish I could do Little Debbie every day, but it's (laughs) not good. Well, with the top five, you could spice it up, That like switch off. So it's not yeah. just one thing every day. That'd probably yeah. be better for you, right? I know for a lot of people, it's Little Debbie isn't like, you know, what's wrong with Little Debbie? Yeah, we do it all the time, but it's not It's not on any diet list anywhere. It's I got not, you. If you go to your doctor and you're like, hey, my diet consists mainly of Little Debbie snack cakes, it's not. They're going to be like, how do you still have teeth and bones? Because there's yes. no nutritional no. value in it no. at all. And, and, it's, what, and what, what is the turning away? A snack cake? Yes. 
You, a cake, cake can't be a snack. Cake is something that's supposed to be like for a birthday. <laughs> it's supposed, you're supposed to have cake once a year. But they can't call it like lunch portion cakes. You know, like. I know. <laughs> it's just funny. Little baby snack cakes. They're, they're the best. And they're good apocalypse food because like never go bad. Never go bad. They have an expiration date, but I think that's yeah. just for show. Yeah. Here's my question though. So when you have like a little treat yourself moment and you go into the gas station. Yeah. And your choices are chips, cookies, uh, candy bars. Snack cakes. Do you go with a snack cake on the top of like treat yourself list in general? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. It de- no, it depends. Okay, depends if I if I want something salty, I'm heading over to the combos. <laughs> I like combos. I like it. But if I want something sweet, yeah, there you I'll go. I'll make the bad choice with the little Debbie snack cake. No, the good choice. Little Debbie's awesome. <laughs> I'm with you, and way better than Hostess. If you like Hostess out there, come fight us with snack cakes. <laughs> so eight out of eight for snack cakes. Little Debbie snack cakes. I like the justification is because it's unhealthy for you that it gets panned because I'm like, I'd have a real hard time finding somebody that's like real that upset about like, hey, put that down. Those are gross. Well, I mean, I know it is is it is controversial to put on a personal pan pick, but it, I've, it's, it just doesn't fit into the, the diet at all. <laughs> Not even a little bit. Yeah, I know. We're talking to a bunch of nerds here and they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Little Debbie cakes are the best. They uh, are the best. That's why they're eight out of eight for me. But they're banned by nutritionists. Because <laughs> our nutritionists, the food movie critics, critics yeah. of food. <laughs> yes. Now I want to meet the or a the, food, even a food critic. A food critic. Yeah. If you're like Little Debbie snack cake or you know a real cake, they'd yeah. be they'd be all putting their nose up and wanting. Yeah, Gordon Ramsay, he doesn't no, like it. Oh my gosh. He probably he probably likes one specific one of them. He's like, oh, I had this one when I was a little kid. And it's and my grandma some, loved it's it. It's a weird British snack cake, though. <laughs> he calls even, it a biscuit. I bet it wouldn't even taste good <laughs> to us. Oh, we gotta hurry up now because you're making me hungry. <laughs> but on that note, we are moving on to my my next uh personal panned pick. Fun to say. If it's not movies, it's TV, because I was, I was a child raised by the boob tube, as are most kids my age, or people my age, because, yeah. So again, like, back before streaming, back before Netflix and Hulu and Amazon, and you get to pick what you want to watch whenever you want to watch it, it was, you sit in front of this machine, and it shows you things until you're done looking at it. <laughs> yeah. And you can change to one of a couple other channels, but that's it. That's about it. And if there's other people in the room, it's probably going to be a consensus decision and you won't get your way and you have to watch Mm -hmm. TV that you probably don't prefer. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, that just means there's more TV shows out out there that I love. Even the bad ones like I Considered Dinosaurs. Do you remember that old show? Is that the one with the live action? The the puppets? Yeah. 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 I'm the baby. Gotta love me. Yeah, I'm the baby. Love that one. Love Celebrity Deathmatch. The Dana Carvey show that lasted a season, weird stuff like that. But staying true to my nerd roots, I went with one of the first, other than Star Trek, this is one of the first sci-fi shows I ever Mm -hmm. really fell in love with. It was on NBC Mm -hmm. uh, in 1994, and it was called Earth 2. Earth 2? And this may be another one that you don't remember or don't know of because it only lasted one season. Yeah, I have no idea what that is. Okay, uh, it lasted one season. It was, I think... 16 episodes it wasn't even very long but it was one just in terms of a general show it was one of those things where they premiered it i think after the super bowl or the grammys or something like that so it was like stay tuned after the grammys to watch earth 2 the premiere you know (laughs) and so because of that its ratings on its first episode it had like a 23 percent nielsen share like it was a smash success 
And then they put out the ratings for episode two, the very next episode, and it was 9%. <laughs> so this was a, a single-digit percentage critics-wise as well. But Earth 2, I fell in love with it. It's essentially a simple story of uh, pioneers, new frontiersmen, going to a new planet, <laughs> lovingly titled... Earth 2? <laughs> Codename G889, oh. which they which they dubbed Earth 2 because it was essentially it was the, you know, they're looking for the next Earth-like planet because the humans have uh, the syndrome and they have to abandon the planet and find a new home. Oh. But the show just stayed centered around on uh, this group of astronauts and scientists and people put on this first mission to this new planet. It follows this whole camp of them who is led by Clancy Brown. Oh. Yeah. Uh, one of the first times I remember seeing Clancy Brown, you would know him from Highlander and also just being one of that, you know. Oh, it's that guy. So he's the leader. We have Deborah Ferentino. Did you ever see the show Eureka? Mm, that sounds familiar. Uh, she's She was the main female. She was the female, like, military sergeant. Hmm. Um, and she was actually the leader of the crew, which is notable because she beats out Catherine Janeway of Star Trek Voyager by two months. Mm. Everybody always points to her as like, oh, she was, you know, one of the first female captains on TV. It's like, uh, technically not true. Actually, let me put on my glasses. <laughs> but yeah, so that that's Deborah Ferentino and Clancy Brown, who I was there, uh, Ant- Antonio Sabato Jr., which is a name just from 90s TV that you would recognize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but he was on it. And then I didn't know this guy like as an actor, but his name is John Gegenhuber, <laughs> and he's he's he, if you go to his IMDb, he has a fairly extensive you know rap sheet. But the thing that caught my eye when I went and looked him up is he's the voice of Captain Crunch. <laughs> <laughs> like what a credit to have! How random. But then also you have uh, w- there was reoccurring roles from Terry O'Quinn from Lost if you like that show, oh, yeah. and Tim Curry. Who doesn't oh, love yeah. Tim Curry? He showed up for two episodes. But it went for one season, so we didn't. Get, we only got a little bit of development. They did show aliens called Terrians because they're like the native people of that planet. Yeah. Um, and it was essentially Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman in space. <laughs> and so it was part soap opera, part Star Trek, part sci-fi, mm. part aliens. It was, it was a good time, but it went from everybody loved the first episode to, yeah, this is, this is done. In an era when it wasn't like streaming where they just cut it oh, off. Yeah. It was an era of we paid for a season, might as well, you know, yeah, get two of it. it. Didn't even make it. You can find it on DVD, though, so Earth 2. Man, I love how you actually found things that were panned that you like. <laughs> I, well, I, I went for all eyebrow raisers. I went for things that make have made people be like, the Little Debbie snack cakes is my wife like, don't eat that. That stuff's gross. You can't eat that. And, you know, my doctor, stop eating that stuff. And then... All the rest of mine are things I've either got made fun of or people have been like, what are you doing right now? Panned um, by your friends, loved so, by you. Yeah. That counts. Exactly. So my next one is a TV show, and it is very much like that. And it's one of those things where I didn't realize I liked it as much until later, and then I got like trapped in a marathon of it and was really enjoying myself <laughs> and like remembering everything. And then I was like, this is a good show. And then when I brought it up, I was like, you know, it was a good show. They're like, what? And I go, Highway to Heaven. And, what? and people go, what? You mean Highway to Hell, the ACDC? No, Highway to Heaven, the drama series from 1984 to 1989. Yes. Five seasons starring Michael Landon, the dad from Little, Little House, House on the, on the Prairie. Prairie. Yeah. Yeah. It was his show. He created it. And he directed almost every episode. Nice. And he starred in it as an angel. In the 80s, too. That's impressive because, like, 
to be like, I'm going to make it, direct it, shoot it, put myself in it, and just fund the whole thing. He had a lot of... Little House on the Prairie was so successful Mm -hmm. that he just had all kinds of cachet in Hollywood. Okay. In the the TV world. but He played an angel, you said? Yeah. Do you know anything about Highway to Heaven? I do not. Okay, this is awesome, then. (laughs) Good, I'm glad. And I'm glad that makes you go, what? Because, yes, this is making sense. This was... I was like 10 to 15 when the show was on first run. Yes. The show was targeted at women and the, I mean, yeah, Michael Landon, handsome guy. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's about angels. Think of who watched Touched by an Angel, which came out yeah. later. I was going to say Touched it's, by an Angel, yeah. the, the crowd that eventually tuned into Saving Grace. Yes, it's that. It's like, it's supposed, it's made for middle-aged women. I kind of love those shows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's made for middle-aged women, and my mother was one of those middle-aged women who loved the show. There you go. She would watch it, and much like you said earlier, is that sometimes mama was in control of the TV, Yep. and there was times when dad was in control of the TV. That's when you got to see sports, Yep. and there was times when mama was in control of the TV. It usually went by the weekday of the week. But yeah, know. by the day of the week, usually, and if you wanted to watch, you could either go in your room... Or you could go outside. Go outside, or you could sit there and watch whatever was on the TV. Yes. And we will watch Highway to Heaven. So it's kind of, you know you know that I like It's a Wonderful Life. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of It's a Wonderful Life-ish. Okay. So here's the premise. Yes. And yes, this I'm telling you, this is 80s. It is corny. It is like, it is heavy-handed at times. It is... It is after school special every time. You're talking about somebody that loves a movie where they fix a school with dance fights. Yeah. So, so lay down. I mean, so Michael Landon plays Jonathan Smith, who's an angel sent to Earth in order to help people in need. He's a probationary angel. He's trying to get his wings, much like in It's a Wonderful Life. There you go. So he goes around. He quickly runs into a ex-police officer named Mark Gordon, who's played by Victor French, who you will recognize as the bearded guy from Little House on the Prairie. Uh, yeah, I know the name. It's yeah. like Buddy. So basically it was two guys who had fun making a show together who were like, hey, let's do a show <laughs> just together. I love it. So he's this, he's this grizzled old cop who's like, or ex-cop, who's like, you know, I'm getting too old for this. <laughs> That's his whole thing. He's grumpy. And he runs into an angel who's trying to do good so he can gain his wings. And basically, every single episode is kind of um, kung fu, (laughs) where, you know, he's traveling from place to place, writing wrongs. But instead of writing wrongs through kung fu and fighting, he's writing wrongs through angelic means. Okay. And it's good Samaritanism and nice deeds. It's good deeds. It's helping. It's talking to people. It's always telling them the right thing. Yeah. But it's not like renegade cop where he's like vigilante, like going after like arresting like crazy people. Not at all. But but I'm telling you, because he has angelic powers, he can he has he has super strength sometimes that he has to enact to like help people out. Yeah. Um, He usually uses it for helping people with manual labor and stuff. (laughs) Sometimes he's like lifting cars off people and stuff. And it's kind of funny because there's all these in things in the show because Mark Gordon, the ex-cop, calls it the stuff. He's like, use the stuff, you know? (laughs) They didn't even give it a name, but just He calls it the stuff. And they call God the boss. It's it's just (laughs) the boss. Sometimes the boss doesn't give me the stuff. Yeah, the man upstairs. I didn't hear a word (laughs) from him this morning. He was in a meeting. But it's really funny because they have... 
they're both very accomplished television actors. They've been acting mm-hmm. for a long time. And Michael Landon's playing the this handsome but kind of naive. Like he doesn't remember. We find out in later episodes how so much we found out in later episodes his true identity when he was on Earth as a human. Ah, gotcha. Um, but but he comes down. He doesn't really remember who he is. He's so he's really naive. So he hooks up with this grizzled, experienced cop. And so there's that kind of cynicism mixed with that naivete. Mm-hmm. And you get that fun interplay that they have between each other. And it's just, it's fun. There's a lot of humor there. It's played for laughs. Yeah, it sounds like a buddy cop adventure. Just it is. Laugh. It is very buddy cop. Okay. And when they go from town to town, they can get jobs that they don't qualify for because Angel, you know, if they look <laughs> up in the, the you know, well, plus the 80s, computers weren't that great. But even if they look them up in the True. computer system anyway, it'll be there. The experience will be there. All relevant paperwork it shows up. But basically, it's all, like I said, there's a lot of after school special stuff. One of the examples I can think of is there's a guy in a town who's made fun of a lot because he's got, I can't remember if it's like a birthmark on his face or his face is burned. Somehow he's, you know. A deformity. A deformity on his face. But he's obviously a handsome actor that they just did something to. (laughs) But anyway, there's a blind girl in town who he's like, oh, it's a Frankenstein thing. Oh, maybe she'll, and she talks to him, is nice to him, and she's, they're kind of falling yeah. in love. Yeah. But, the, but of course her family's like, no, that's the town monster, basically, because everyone distrusts him and stuff from the time he was a kid and everything. So they yeah. see him as a monster. But she's like, I know what he looks like on the inside. But then she's about to have, but then she's about to have surgery that's going to make her be able to see. Oh no! He was all scared that you know when she sees him. So the Jonathan's there to help. Okay. With the with the whole situation, and of course it comes out in the end. Of course she can see because it's a miracle that she can see. And when she sees him, she doesn't care about his face because she loves him anyway. Does do they angel fix his face? No, that's a good call. Okay. No, no, that's good. And one of the coolest things about Highway to Heaven, and like I said, <laughs> I got caught in a marathon of this, but one of the really cool things about it is that there was an actor in Highway to Heaven named Jim Troche. I think that's how you say it. And he's one of the few quadriplegic actors who ever existed. There you go. So he was literally in a wheelchair that he had to push around with his mouth, and he played a lawyer. Ah, there you go. So, and he was a lawyer who, and he was married to a woman who was able-bodied, mm-hmm. and and there was like soap opera drama between that stuff going on. But they were good friends with that. He was like the lawyer that they used when they got in trouble with the law. Yeah, when Angel Powers couldn't cut it exactly at the second act mark. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so it was really neat to see that as a kid, where you see someone like in a wheelchair like that, and you're like, oh no, he's like a lawyer. Yeah, yeah. And he had those cool '80s uh, three-piece suits, <laughs> you know, yep. with the vest and everything. Yeah. In his wheelchair, I love, really like that. He was a great actor, John Trosh. But anyway, go. Highway to Heaven. Yes, it was for ladies, and and I didn't realize how much I loved it and how much I remember about it, how much I knew about it mm-hmm. until like I think it was over Christmas. They were running a marathon yeah. of it, and I was I couldn't stop watching it. <laughs> it's like I used to love this show. But it's definitely an eyebrow raiser. I don't think like you're like what? <laughs> I did It's a little bit it's a little bit quantum leapy, but it has that whole God component to it. But of course, see, God has quantum leapy, they talk about God in there too. Yeah, he's yeah. the one controlling the thing. So I guess it's it's very similar, but I, I mentioned Saving Grace. I've seen every episode of that show and it's got a similar premise. She has a guardian angel and like it is that trope. There are you could probably find ten shows like that. Yeah, but it's always a fun time. But the show was a hit. It did a, well, basically. It was always in the top twenty. Oh yeah, yeah. 
or so it was always in ratings. It, was, it always did well. Was so it? it's not a panned show, yeah. But it's not a show <laughs> that I should have been running around at twelve years old, going like, like, oh, give me the stuff, God! I'm gonna <laughs> save this kid who's uh, trapped in the well. You know what I mean? <laughs> What's the stuff, kid? It's angel powers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That probably would have gotten you panned in recess. <laughs> 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 Let's play Highway to Heaven. What? What? <laughs> Slow down. <laughs> oh, when I was thinking about like TV shows that were eligible for this sort of like thinking brain experiment, which I love, by the way, I had to force myself not to go into like the s- procedurals and the serials. Were you ever like, do you, do you have one of those that's a fan of? Uh, the only one that I was ever a real fan of was Castle. Yeah, Castle counts. Because that's procedural. Yeah, it was definitely a procedural, but it was, I mean, it had the captain in it. <laughs> was that the whole reason you got into it? Was because yeah. of Nathan Fillion? 100%. That's hilarious. 100%. Love that guy. He did a great job in there, though. Basically, that just was, being Nathan Fillion, though. Stan Akadik didn't help. It just didn't hurt. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's how you say her name, right? I think, yeah, yeah. Now, Castle, House, Bones, CSI. Ugh, seen them all. <laughs> But that's TV. That was a good pick. Highway to Heaven. Now I have to go watch clips on it. Or maybe I'll catch a marathon. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but for my last thing, uh, I sort of I went a little more broad just because I wanted to ask you a question and get your opinion on it as well. But it's books, but I didn't pick a book. I went with an author because every time this, uh, this fits into your eyebrow razor, every time I mention that like this is one of my favorite authors, people are like, huh, it's an eyebrow uh-huh. or a what? But one of my favorite authors, like, ever is Dean Koontz. Okay, yeah, I know the name. I don't know what he writes. <laughs> yeah, he writes, uh, he's essentially, like, the Tom Clancy or the James Patterson for, like, the light thriller novel. Oh, yeah. There's always... So, a- the, I am seeing... Uh, the, so, I do see that at, like, the grocery store and at, yes. like, the newsstand at the airport. He's always on the, you know, the New okay. York Times, like, forty top 40 bestsellers mm-hmm. at the airport. He, right. he usually has a paperback in there. And there's probably there's at least two hundred different versions okay, of it. That's why I've seen the name then. <laughs> People think of him, they put him usually in the same category as like a Dan Brown Da Vinci Code type uh-huh. thing, where people are like, You like that? I'm like, Yeah, it's great. <laughs> but the, here's the reason I love Dean Coons. It's always just a dude protagonist, which hey, me being that's what I'm reading about. It's easy to put myself in that place. Mm-hmm. It's escapism, sort of a narrative cheat, but it works on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he usually has like a crafty, clever best friend. It's either like has a loves wearing Hawaiian shirts or loves motorcycles or surfs or is into punk rock. It's just the weird quirky friend. Uh, there's usually a smoking hot smoke show love interest that he. What's good about Dean Koontz is he doesn't always have to rescue her. It ends up being the lady that rescues him because the main character is you know dumb guy sometimes. <laughs> love it. And then there's always a dog. Doesn't matter what's going on in the story. The main the main hero always has a golden retriever, a lab, a husky, a put in a type of dog. There's always a dog in there, because so they, they're all the same. Basically, is that why people are like, "What?" It's not all the same characters, and it's not all the same plots. But he does like he does hit the same bullet points. <laughs> he has a he has a checklist. Like I'm Dean Koontz. Let me start a new novel. Okay, I need this check. I need this check. <laughs> And then he, you know, rolls the random scenario dice to be like, <laughs> okay, this time it's lightning powers on an island, and the bad guy it was as part of was part of an experiment from the twenties, <laughs> like that. You know, you could fill in it's Mad Libs for what else takes place in the story, <laughs> but you know, when you go into a Dean Koontz book, 
That's the framework you're That's getting. That's awesome, actually. They aren't uh, high art. They aren't. <laughs> They're little little be snack cakes of reading. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's different varieties. We could rank which one of Dean Kuhn's book is my favorite, like you had your snack cake ranking. <laughs> but it's all it's all pretty much nutritionally devoid of anything. It's just it tastes good, it feels good. You enjoy it when you have it. That's that's Dean Kuhn's for me. Absolutely. I say that to like say this. Is there an author that you would read just to read because of the author and not necessarily because they're good, bad, high literature, lowbrow, whatever? No, I really don't have authors that I, well, yeah, no. That's now that I think about it. I mean, I really like some of the sci-fi, like Michael Stackpole. Mm-hmm. I like his stuff. Uh, Timothy Zahn, I've read some of his stuff that's not the Thrawn stuff. There you go. But yeah, it's usually guys who have, um, I found through the Star Wars sci-fi books. Yeah, yeah. And have been like, and like, oh, they write other stuff too? <laughs> so yeah, they're kind of vetted by the thing you love yeah. and then it branches outward. Yeah. I, I, that makes sense. So yeah, that's that. So what's your top of the Dean Koontz books? Are they all individually different, or does he have a recurring characters across some of them? He 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 has because he's written so much. He like I think he might put out two books a year. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. There's a bunch out there, and he's been writing for like the last thirty years. So huge backlog. But he does like he'll every once in a while he'll do like a four book series mm-hmm. where he keeps the same sort of scenario and characters, and then just does a whole arc. But usually they're just one offs. They made a show out of one called Odd Thomas. Hmm. That was based on one of his series. It's really good. But it's about a guy who has (laughs) the main hero. His problem is that he has that UV sensitivity where he starts like breaking out and having problems if he's out in sunlight. Mm -hmm. So he lives his life in the evenings. And because of that, of of course, he encounters weird, supernatural, uh, evil stuff, you know. But his best friend is a Hawaiian guy that has a radio show at two o'clock in the morning. So they're always there on the same hours, you know. And then he takes his dog walking at night to keep him safe. It, it all fits into the formula. <laughs> so he does have series, but he has a bunch of one-offs. My favorite was the first I ever read, and I read it a whole bunch afterwards. But it's called Lightning. Mm. It's a stranger appears in the middle of the road, and uh, it, it was a storm, you know, a stormy night, and Lightning uh, prophesized his coming, and then it just gets crazier from there. I don't know, you're making it sound pretty good, but just like I'm, I was making Little Debbie Cat- Snack Cake sound pretty good to you, too. To give a little bit of voice to the critics, like he does, I mentioned James Patterson and Tom Clancy. Like there is a formula there mm-hmm. that these guys know yeah, about sure. and they're using to maximum efficiency. Yeah. So it can grate on you if you recognize it or yeah, if you aren't yeah. buying into it, but I yeah, gotcha. it works for me. <laughs> That's great. I have read some James Patterson stuff and enjoyed it. There you go. That's a great. So my last eyebrow razor has all kinds of stories with it, and it's all it's very funny to me. And I'll die on the hill too because I still think you'll hear it's music, and you'll hear this music in the grocery store, so it must be good. <laughs> but I've gotten so much ridicule for it, but I don't care. I've gone to see this artist twice live. Nice. It is the early two thousands, <laughs> um, pop folk, I guess. No, just pop, really. Eh, pop folk sensation. Mm-hmm. Michelle Branch. Michelle Branch, yeah. I love Michelle Branch way too <laughs> much for someone <laughs> my age. Now, yes, Michelle Branch was popular in the early 2000s, and I was only in my, like, 20s-ish yeah, yeah. then. But still, it was targeted younger. Yeah, when you and went to those two concerts. Y- yeah, well, you, sorry, the, jumping ahead of you. No, yeah, no, it, it's... I. <laughs> I like what I like, and this is what I, my friends were like. You have the taste of a musical taste of a teenage girl, and I 
kind of do. <laughs> and I've owned it in a minute, but Michelle Branch was is the tipple. Now, if you're like, who's Michelle Branch? Just Spotify it, or as soon as you hear one of her songs, you'll be like, oh. I'd start playing it over the microphone, like, but I think we have to pay no, royalties yeah. for Everywhere that. is her biggest hit, probably, of them all, and but there's they're all hits to me. I even have her first album that she made, her parents paid for, called Broken Bracelet. You're going first album on me. This I, makes you sound like a hipster. I got That's that. Now, this is why I like Michelle Branch. Michelle Branch came out when, like, Britney Spears was hitting, mm-hmm. when Christina Aguilera was hitting, and she was kind of thrown in with them, but this girl had a guitar with her, and you're sitting there going, like, is she just holding that guitar, or can she play that guitar? <laughs> but you find out she can play that guitar, and she was actually writing her own music, mm-hmm. and she put her music up on some Rolling Stone thing, and... People got wind of it, and next thing you know, she's going with all the latest pop got the butch vigs of the world and stuff <laughs> and making this kind of iconic music that got copied so much. Like, her style got copied. Yeah, because there was a whole wave of that, like, during the TRL days. Yes, there was a whole wave of, like, Vanessa Carlton. Who she's everyone, the one that played the piano in the back of the truck. In the back of the truck, and everyone okay. thinks that's a Michelle Branch song, but yeah, it's not yeah. a Michelle Branch song, it's a Vanessa Carlton song. I'm I'm pretty sure I'm guilty of that on a couple of occasions, but yeah. She started that wave is what you're saying. She did. She started a wave. She's an innovator. She's a great musician. To this day, her latest album that came out, Hopeless Romantic, you even admitted. I did. Is a good album. Yeah. Because she's like almost 40 now. So, I mean, much more mature music. And she gets cool points for hanging out with uh, Patrick Carney, the drummer from Black Keys, yeah. they, or they were married. I don't know. Something's there, but they had some like they, yeah. musically. They had a relationship as well, and that's always good times. That's fun stuff. I even she even got together with Jessica Harp, who's a Nashville country artist, and they made a duo called the Wreckers for Home Wreckers, and they made an album. And I bought that dumb album. I don't <laughs> like country music, but I bought that album too. This is how much I'm obsessed. That's but powerful. Yeah, this all comes down so. Her music calms me. Mm-hmm. Like when I'm like upset or angry or stuff, if I put some Michelle Branch on me, it just calms down. There you go. But I realized that this was a weird problem. And this is a story I've told to my friends I'm going to tell on the podcast. Years ago, George Bush was president. And if you recall, do, <laughs> Which you, re- one? No. do you recall, Mikey, when the, the W, George W. Bush was president, do you recall the, the Dixie Chicks? You remember the Dixie Chicks? They are you talking about how they were outspoken against the president? Yeah, I remember they're and they pretty much killed their careers yep. when they did that. So the Dixie Chicks said something about President Bush. I forget what it was. I don't care. But anyway, a lot of people got mad. It kind of killed their career. They were like huge in country music and saying something bad about Bush was not what the fans wanted to hear. It was a fallout. Yep. So what happened was is that the Dixie Chicks were playing here in Dallas. My wife is a fan of the Dixie Chicks. It doesn't care what their politics are. Yep. And one of her friends said, hey, I got tickets. To, I got four tickets, and I'm not going to this thing. I don't know if it was because of political or she couldn't go. But so she goes, does your husband, you and your husband want to go? And I'll, the other two are already spoken for, for some other couple. Gotcha. Um, so Sylvie's like, yeah. So she comes home. She's like, I got tickets to go see the Dixie Chicks. And I'm like, ugh. Because <laughs> country music. Yeah, I know. I get it. And she's like, Michelle Branch is opening for him. And I was like, when does it start? Can we go right now? Complete 180. It's like, I am on board. So we show up at this, we show up at the concert, and there's this other couple there that was sitting right next to us because it was four tickets. Yep, yep. And my wife knows the wife of that couple too. And the guy comes up to me and he's like, oh man, the things we do for our wives, right? 
you know, all put out because he has to suffer through this concert, suffer this concert. And I was like, oh, yeah, sure, man. He's like, you want can I buy you a beer? Yeah, man, let's get a beer. (laughs) So we sit down and we sit down, you know, he sits next to me going, yeah, man, you know, I only ever come here to watch like basketball and hockey games. Yeah, 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 yeah. The concert starts and Michelle Branch comes out and I like go all giddy and like, I know every word yeah. to every song. Yeah. And I slowly watch this guy like try and push himself into the far other side of his seat <laughs> as hard as he can. You were supposed to be on the same team. You were the chosen one, Kevin. Why did you have to betray your new friend like that? Oh my goodness gracious. He was like, What is going on? You were having a moment. I dude, it was great. It was so great that when Michelle Branch came back through town to be at the State Fair of Texas, I was like, we're going to that. There you go. And that was great, too. There you go. And again, I'm in rare. When I'm there, it's a sea of women who are like 10 years younger than me. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you earlier. That's what makes it an eyebrow razor. You don't don't go to those shows and see more of you. No, there are not a (laughs) bunch of me's there. There are not a bunch of... I'm a good 10 years older than anyone there, and it's majority women, and I know all the words... (laughs) And I'm singing right along, and yeah. You're living your truth. I think that's what the kids say. She's a talented artist. That's all I'm saying. I don't know what, there was something, I got some kind of vibe. I don't know how I could pick out that there was something different about what was going on. Because what was happening is they were just trying to find any pretty young girl who could sing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because that was what was in the zeitgeist at the time. Yeah, yeah. With Britney and Christina Aguilera and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. They were just, like, grabbing them and putting them with these pop producers and putting stuff out. But I could tell there was something different about her stuff. Yep. And what was different about her stuff is that she wrote a lot of it herself. And it sounds... I'm telling you, when an artist writes their own stuff, you can tell the difference. I don't know why. it separates them from the machine a little bit. Even if they're singing the same kind... Exactly the same kind of music. Yeah. You can tell. Yeah. It's crafted pop music rather than just manufactured pop music. So it's weird that you can tell that. Hmm. If you have a good ear like you do and you and so. other Michelle Branch fans. So, yeah. Well, anyway. she, like you were saying, she's still going to. She just had a new album. So maybe once yep. everything's, once all the craziness is over, she'll go back on tour. You I, can get that feeling again. Yes. I'll take you with me. I'll, I'm totally down. I got to see, I got to see the dancing and singing all the words myself. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. Anyway. We want you guys to let us know what kind of eyebrow raising things you have in your life. What kind of stuff do you love that people are like, yeah, like what? And we want you to own it and say, I don't care that you say I'm not supposed to like that. It felt good this entire episode. To be I like, like it. I own it. This yes. is, these are great. I own it. Okay. So come on with us. Mm-hmm. Mikey's going to bring his Dean Koontz books yep. while we drive to the Michelle Branch concert. And then afterwards, we're going to do something that you want to do <laughs> and it. let us know what that is, no matter how far our eyebrows go up. It is. You can hit us up on our social media at AssumingPod. That's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, mostly on Instagram, though, because that has pictures. And we also want you to send us a Gmail, assumingpositions at gmail.com. Dot com. Now, I always ask Mikey, in what format should they send the Gmail? How would you like to see the Gmail this time? What would be an overrated form of communication? Hmm. A, a, a resume? 
Yeah, that's that raise an eyebrow. I want you to do a CV with a cover letter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a circumvay vitae. What is it called? Why do they call it a CV? That's what the British call the resume, yeah. but I think that's right. Yeah, send us your CV along with yeah. your, your questions and in- inquiries. Yeah. Maybe we can hire you for the assuming positions we, team. Yeah, we want a cover letter, and then on the resume, we want the things that you love that you're not supposed to <laughs> on there. Yeah. <laughs> your work history is all the nerdy stuff you've done in your life to work up to the nerd you are now. Uh, we want to thank you guys so much for listening. We also want to thank that guy, Brad, for doing our announcing, not Scott Production for equipment, Jazzar for music, and we hope you have an awesome week. No guilty pleasures. No guilty pleasures. Love bad stuff. Yes. Rest in peace, Norm MacDonald.